Our text this morning is from the book of Acts again. I've been going slowly through the book of Acts on my occasions to preach here. Um, The passage that we're looking at this morning in Acts is Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And you can find that on page 1163 in the Pew Bible if you would care to follow along. Acts 6, 8 through 15. Again, hear the word of God. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it, is, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that you have provided your word that we may know you through it. That we may know what you desire for us to know, that you, what you want us to uh, hear from you and how we are to react to that what you've done for us in your son. Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage today, that you would give us clarity and wisdom and understanding and that we would use it in going forth in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered how you would react to a situation where you were being persecuted for the faith? I mean, to the point where your life even may be threatened. Has that ever occurred to you? I, I think it's probably has. It certainly occurred to me. I've often wondered, you know, what would I do? We, we haven't seen anything like that here in our country, but it could happen, and I think it will happen. I, I might sound like a broken record on this subject, but we see repetition of it here in the book of Acts. So uh, it, it makes me realize that we need to think. There's no new thing under the sun, and the church persecuted in the first century is like the church throughout history seeing persecution and persecution and persecution it continues on and there's no reason for us to necessarily think that it won't happen to us someday but how would you react how how would it affect you if you were taken in because of your faith either by some government uh, agency or someone else uh, and there was a threat to your life involved How do you think you would answer to that? Would you stand up or would you crumble? (laughs) I think as we look at this passage, it should remind us that as believers, we should indeed be able to recognize that we'll stand up. The world hates us, but we should be able to stand up and we'll be able to stand up to whatever happens as uh, the world comes against us. 
See, the world hates you for belonging to Jesus Christ. So they will go to whatever extreme they can to destroy you. They may seem to be your friend now, but they truly hate you. But should the time come, God will sustain you as you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified for you. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this passage. As we see what happened with Stephen here and how it turns out. Um, in this passage, we're seeing, as I said, we've already seen two persecutions of the early church. The first was when John and Peter were taken in by the council, the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling body, the 70 elders headed by the high priests. Uh, they were taken in and told after they healed the man born crippled to stop doing things like this and stop speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And, of course, that didn't stop them. And then the second, that was in chapter uh, 4, and then in chapter 5, all of the apostles were taken in. And this I preached on a little while back here, a month or so ago. Uh, They were all taken in. And on this occasion, they were told not only to stop teaching in the name of Jesus Christ, but they were actually all flogged. They were all beaten. And they, of course, as we recall, they, were, they counted it as a, a pr- privilege to be punished for the name. They recognized, again, what God was doing through them, that it brought this kind of hostility from the powers that be, the religious leaders, and they recognized that God was using them. So they saw it as a reason to be joyful. They had the opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. Well, in the... This case, this third case, Stephen, who is, by the way, not even an apostle, he's a deacon, but nevertheless, Stephen was taken in, and in his case, we will see that he will be killed for his testimony of Jesus Christ. So things continue progressively worse at the point that we're out with Stephen. But again, we see this repetition as a reminder to us that we indeed may Uh, see this throughout all of church history that we too will be persecuted or could be persecuted as he was. So let's take a look at the passage and and see how things go here with Stephen. And and first of all, we see in this passage the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit whenever anyone comes against us. Because if you are, God will use you mightily. Uh, even even before God come, or even before the enemy comes against you, God will use you mightily if you're full of the Holy Spirit. Verse eight says, "And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people." Back when we saw in the last passage, when God chose the, uh, or when the church chose the uh, seven original deacons, uh, it said in verse three uh, that the 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 apostle said, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And then in verse 5, in reference to Stephen, it especially points out that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And again, in our verse today, full of grace and power. The grace of God was working greatly in his life. He was living a life boldly for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom, and he was showing the power of the Holy Spirit in his life as he indeed worked out these great wonders and signs among the people. He probably was healing people uh, through the power that God was using through him. Uh, He was probably healing many people, and that's what uh, 
got the attention of the guys that were coming against him in here. But again, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, God will use you too. And all Christians, all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit from when we come to know Christ. But we need to continue to seek that that filling uh, continues. God is the one who does it. But we still need to seek, do our part in seeing that uh, we are receptive to it. Uh, if you care to look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, and do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, I've known of Christians who think that that means you're supposed to act like an idiot when you're full of the Holy Spirit. I've actually seen people stumbling around and acting drunken because they claim that they were full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they were drunk on the Holy Spirit. That's not what the verse says. It doesn't say be drunk on the Holy Spirit. It says don't be drunk on wine because it brings debauchery. It causes you to do uh, bad things. It says, but what, what you're full of is what controls you. If you're full of wine, it's going to control you. You're going to act like a drunkard. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to act like someone who is serving God. You're going to do the things that the Holy Spirit wants you to do because you are being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the goal is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Again, in that passage in Ephesians, Paul says, he gives four different things uh, in the next three verses that explain how we should seek the filling, how we should seek to be uh, assured of our filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me read those verses. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he, these four things, the first thing is fellowship. Fellowshipping with one another. Why We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing psalms. Those are, that's basically what it's referring to. Those are three words that were used in the Old Testament, uh, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in reference to the psalms. They called them psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that's what we address one another. We encourage one another as we sing the psalms together to one another. As we fellowship in general, that is an encouragement toward uh, being sensitive to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then in worship, singing and making melody to, God, to the Lord with all your heart. Again, we worship God. We're singing to him, but we're also uh, worship, worshiping and receiving his word. All these things are involved with worshiping God. The thir third thing Paul refers to here is gratitude. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing that everything we have, all good things that we have come from God and they come through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to have gratitude primarily for the salvation that he's given to us. And then fourthly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another is a reminder that we put others in front of us. They're our true love means that I put you in front of me, that I put you in front of my needs. That's, that's the kind of, of love that God wants us to have. So as we exercise fellowship, worship, gratitude, and submission, we see the Holy Spirit working more and more in us. Again, God's the one that's doing the fill, filling, but we're responding to him and being uh, sensitive to his working in our lives. And so it was 
with Stephen. God was showing that he was, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit by the things that he was doing. He was showing the love of God by doing these things and showing the Spirit's fullness in him by doing these mighty wonders and, and uh, signs among the people. Well, and then what happened, again, as seems to be the case, as we've seen back in the other pa passages where persecution takes place, it gets the attention of somebody that's not so happy about it. They don't look at what's going on in a positive sense. And that's what happens next. And we can, again, we can see that, if, uh, that Stephen is attacked by these men from the synagogue of the freedmen. But again, as, we're, as they attack him, we find that they can't stand up to what he has to say because he is steeped in the word of God. Again, it's the Holy Spirit working through him, but he's steeped in the word of God. And again, as you are in, uh, steeped in the word of God, you can be standing confident that he is working in you uh, if anyone comes against you, if anyone opposes you uh, in the word. Um, in Luke 12, verses 11 at 12, Jesus says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, Jesus is not saying that you're going to get it through osmosis, that you don't need to study. Christians should not be lazy. <laughs> Christians should be people who desire the word of God. You should be thirsty for the word of God. If you're not thirsty for the word of God, pray that he makes you thirsty for it. Pray that he makes you desire to study it so that when the time comes, no, you're not ready for the specific questions that you might be asked, but you will be ready because you are filled with the word of God because you have kept efforts to study it and that God will use the Holy Spirit to bring those, uh, those truths to you when the time comes. Take again a look at the passage before us, it says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, the synagogue of the freedmen would have been people that were either uh, prisoners of war or perhaps slaves who had been set free. Uh, and it was either they or their uh, children or descendants that were members of this synagogue of the freedmen. And it formed in Jerusalem, there was something like, I think, 400 uh, synagogues in Jerusalem at this time, from what I've read. So there were a variety, sort of like little denominations of synagogues. Uh, people kind of clumped together according to uh, like-mindedness uh, for different uh, reasons. And so these men, because they all came from this kind of background, uh, from different places. It, if you read this, uh, the ESV makes it a little confusing. I think it's better if you read it. Uh, the freedmen from Cyr uh, the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia. In other words, I think it's trying to say to us that that's where all these freedmen came from. When they came to Jerusalem, they joined together and formed this synagogue because they were all people who had the same kind of background. I think that's what we're seeing here from Cyrene, from Alexandria, uh, and from Cilicia and Asia, which is uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, that area. But at any rate, they all came together. Now, again, just a little back up there little background, uh, these were all what we would call Hellenistic Jews, meaning that as a result of being spread out during the diaspora, when the Babylonians came in hundreds of years prior to that, their families were strung out all over the empire. And when they were allowed to come back, a lot of people did come back to Jerusalem and Judea, that area. 
but a lot of them did not. They stayed in the different parts of the, of the, of the uh, world at that time, the known world at that time. And they set up synagogues and so on in different areas. They were Hellenistic Jews. They were Jews who probably spoke Greek because that was the lingua franca of the time. And so they would have been a little bit different again, as we saw the last time we saw when Stephen was chosen, he and the other guys that were chosen all apparently were Hellenistic Greeks so that they were there to take care of the Hellenistic widows because they spoke the same language and had the same culture that they came from. And so when they came to live here in Jerusalem, again, they came together, and Stephen himself very possibly had been a member of this very synagogue before he became a believer in Jesus Christ. So it's probably why he had a, some kind of an audience with these guys, because he could speak language they could understand, and he was one of them at one point. Now, as they see him, they're not happy with the, what they hear him saying. They're very hostile to what he is saying, so they, uh, they come against him. It says they, would, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't argue with it. And again, back to what I said earlier, when you're steeped in the word of God and the enemies come against you and they accuse you, you'll be ready because God will bring to mind the things you need to know at the time. Study to show yourself approved. Again, we're not to be lazy Christians. Study to show yourself approved. So they came against them. It says, and, and then in verses 11 through 14, we see uh, they knew in their hearts the truth. They, again, they, they had the word of God, they, but they knew in their hearts what the truth was, and they still came against Stephen, even to the point of lying, which is exactly what happens with us when the enemies of God come against us. Because in their heart, they know the truth. They know the truth of God's word. They know the truth of God uh, around them. They can see God, and yet they will still do whatever they can to come against you and me because of their hatred for him. It's in their hearts because they haven't had their hearts softened by God. So they do whatever they can against you. Again, take a look at that passage, verses 11 through 14. Then they secretly instigated men. These are the men from the, uh, temp, uh, the synagogue of the freedmen. They secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So again, the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish people in Jerusalem who lived there were pretty much on the same page with the council. They liked the way things were there. The setup they had was nice. So it was easy to get them to back you up if you were against anything that the Christians were doing. So they, they were able to get the people to come behind them and it says, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And you see a lot of parallels to the passage we read earlier when Jesus was arrested and taken before the council. Very similar. Lies were being said, twisting things around, misunderstanding what Jesus said, and we're seeing the same thing here. Stephen probably said some of these things, but they, missed, they twisted them around to mean something that he didn't mean. Yes, Jesus said, you destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it back up. He wasn't talking about the building. 
that was they were looking at. He was talking about the true temple, which was his body. You kill me in three days, I'm back. I'm raised, I'll be raised up. That's what he was talking about. And yet, both here and back when Jesus was arrested, we still see this twisting of things that were said by him and twisting of things said by Stephen. So they will lie. The world will lie when they come against you, whether it's in persecution religious-wise, religious leader-type-wise or government-wise or people that just come against you in your daily life, uh, people that you come against on social media, for that matter, they will lie. They will call you haters because of the things you stand for. They'll say, if you are against a, a same-sex marriage, they'll say, well, you, you're a homophobe. You hate homosexuals. No, that's not. Let's hope you don't hate homosexuals. That's not your job. You're not to hate them. You're to love them. You're supposed to be witnessing to them the love of Christ, not hating them. Hating them is not what you're called to do. And if you're a true, truly living the way Christ wants you to live, they shouldn't have an excuse to call you a hater or a homophobe because that's not what you should be. Unfortunately, as we stand against such things as same-sex marriage, the other day I read uh, there's a, a survey that was done here in our country. This is an absolute shock, but I guess maybe it shouldn't be. 70% of America's population now is okay with same-sex marriage. 70%. And that means that that also includes a number of people that call themselves evangelical Christians <laughs> are in that group because there's going to be some overlap there. 70%. So this is, this is something that's sneaked up on us in a sense, although we should have seen it coming. It's sneaked up on us, and it's just one example. When the majority says you're wrong, it's hard when you're coming against them, and they say that you're a, you're a hater because you're against same-sex marriage. They come against you because you stand up for the fact that uh, it's not women's health issues as far as the issue of abor abortion is concerned. Abortion is still murder, but oh, no, no, you're a hater. You don't care about women. All you care about is, is your religious views and your hostility towards women. You're a hater. Uh, again, they don't care what the Word of God says about these things. They're rejecting the Word of God. They know in their hearts the Word of God is true, but they hate it. They hate God, and therefore... They hate you. Again, Jesus said they're going to hate you first. Or they're going to hate him because they hated him. They're going to hate you because they hated him first. Uh, so these things are all, and then you get to the real issue, the real crux of the thing. These are just smoke screens. The real issue is when you say that you believe that there is only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's when they really get worked up. How dare you be so Arrogant is to think that your religion is the only one. A, a lady, a customer of mine I was talking to um, a few weeks ago, she's in a church that broke away. I'm not going to say denominations or name of the churches. Local church broke away from a liberal denomination, as a number of people are doing, a number of churches are doing, breaking away from this very liberal denomination and joining a church denomination which is supposedly conservative. She said they were seeking for a pastor and they're now conservative Presbyterian church. I guess I gave it away. <laughs> they're now seeking a conservative pastor for their church. And the men that they interviewed, she said they, they, they couldn't find anybody that would stand up for the gospel. These are guys who are supposed to be conservative Christians. She said one of them said something to the effect that uh, when they was asked about other religions like Islam, he says, well, I'd, I kind of have to put a comma there, maybe Maybe Islam's acceptable way of salvation. 
This is, this is unbelievable. Again, we see this slip slide going on around us in Christianity. But at any rate, uh, that's what's coming within the church. And so the outside, we can only expect even worse. Those, and when they see people that are supposedly Christians saying things like that, they're saying, see, you can, believe, you can be a Christian and believe that there are other ways besides Jesus to salvation. That's the kind of thing we get. So that hostility is there. But you know, again, down in their hearts, they know the truth. And this is what offends them because they don't want to accept the truth. We sang Psalm 19a earlier because that tells us they see God in his creation. They see God in the fact that they have consciences. They see God all around. They can't resist the true God because he is very evident. So, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 23 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who hold down the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God manifested it unto them for the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen being perceived through the things that are made even his everlasting power and divinity that they may be without excuse it says without excuse because that knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasonings, and their senseless heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of an image of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed beasts and creeping things. They turned from the true God to some form of idolatry but they know in their hearts, and don't ever let this smoke screen they throw in front of you fool you. They know, and they know in their hearts they are rejecting the true God. That's a fact that they can't deny, even if they do try to deny it. And so when you're up against them and telling the truth, don't be afraid, because the things they throw at you, the lies they throw at you, when they say that you are a hater when you're not, when they say that you... Uh, or a bigot because you believe that there's only one way of salvation or whatever. Don't let them do that. Don't let them fool you because down inside they know the truth is there and they're resisting it as Paul tells us in Romans. And so, as we are opposed by those who are against us, what happens to us? How do we respond? Well, we're going to see a big long speech that Stephen gives but before he gives that speech, what we're looking at today, that last verse shows how God holds us up in the time of trouble. Stephen, yes, Stephen was unusual in the gifts that God gave him, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ, just as you and I are. If you're trusting Christ today, if the persecution comes, God will take you through it if you're, if you're focusing on the crucified Christ, who he is and what he did for you. He'll take you through it. Take a look at the last verse. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I think there's a little irony in that, too, because the Sanhedrin, the council, was made up mostly of Sadducees. There was a sprinkling of Pharisees in there. The Pharisees believed in eternal life. They believed in angels. 
The Sadducees did not. So most of these guys, seeing somebody that had the face of an angel, it would have been rather startling, I think, if they thought that it was truly a face of an angel. But really, the issue here is that Stephen was, Stephen was glowing, in a sense, and showing total peace during what was going on. And I think he certainly had a pretty good idea where things were headed. He knows what happened to Jesus. When Jesus was given the same accusations for of, of accused, being accused of blasphemy and so on, here's, Steve, here's Stephen <laughs> accused of uh, blaspheming Moses and God and blaspheming the law and blaspheming the temple. And these were all charges that were uh, certainly uh, dangerous for him, and he certainly recognized the possibility, and God may have even revealed it to him that he was going to die, which we see, again, at the end of the passage. But he was sitting there in peace. He wasn't wishing evil on these men. Matter of fact, at the end, he asked God to forgive them for what they're doing. He's not angry. He's not hostile. He's at complete peace. And why is that? Because he knows what really matters, and he knows who he is really trusting in, and he's trusting in the crucified Christ. Uh, most of you here were praying, I think just about all of you have been pray, were praying when my brother was uh, going through his health issues um, over the last few years, and again, you know he passed away this past January. Now, my brother was not in any situation like S Stephen here, obviously. He wasn't worrying about persecution. But I bring this up just to give you some idea of facing death, uh, what happened with my brother. Again, as you know, he had problems for years, and he developed uh, COPD, and particularly the COPD problem that he dealt with the most was emphysema. He was a, a smoker as a young man, and he had given it up years ago, but he still de developed COPD, which is a warning, by the way, anybody who might smoke. <laughs> it can come up later. <laughs> But at any rate, um, he uh, was told that in the latter stages of emphysema, his breathing would be like, even with oxygen, it would be like breathing through a swizzle straw. If you know what a swizzle straw is, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you probably don't since you don't drink mixed drinks. <laughs> swizzle straw is a very skinny little straw that's used to stirring mixed drinks. And it's got a teeny little hole in it. And breathing through that would be a horrible experience, as you can imagine. That, even through a regular straw could be a, a difficulty. But breathing through this tiny little hole, they said that's what it would be like in his latter stages. And he was concerned about that because he didn't want to die that way. Because, And I've seen people die that way. It's not a pleasant death. So last fall when it was diagnosed that he was going to die from another condition... Uh, he was told that the, his body was no longer making blood and he couldn't uh, be treated. They really couldn't do anything for him. He was too weak. This chemo wouldn't do any good. Particular condition, basically everybody that develops it dies from it. It's a syndrome where your body just is not producing blood and even transfusions don't work. But anyway, he told me when, when he got that uh, prognosis, he said, you know, I see this as a blessing. He said, I know where I'm going that part doesn't worry me. It's the process of going there that concerns me. And he says, I, I didn't want to die the way they told me I was going to die because I knew it would be miserable, like breathing through a swizzle straw. He says, I didn't want to see that. He says, I'll, I'll die sooner than I would have, but I'll die peacefully. 
And the night that we got the call that he died when he was in a nursing home, I'd, I'd talked to him and seen him earlier that evening, and I could see that he was really going quickly. Uh, the nursing home called us that night, and they said he died, and they said he, he went peacefully. And I was not surprised because I knew that that's what he was expecting, and that's what he had reason to expect. Now, again, the point is nobody wants to, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, as the old song goes. Uh, we all know that the better thing for us is death as, as believers because we will be instantly with the Lord Jesus Christ. The process of getting there is not always that great a thing. But the comfort of knowing that that moment that you close your eyes and breathe your last instantly, immediately you're going to be in the presence of the Lord who has saved you from death, who has saved you for all eternity. That's a comfort. So whether it's uh, somebody dying of natural causes or dying of some other sickness, and unfortunately maybe some, some who do die with a long, painful death, as believers, whatever happens in this life, we can have this ironic state that we see with Stephen here in the knowledge of where we're heading. We're trusting on the crucified Christ. And again, we'll see this even more clearly at the end of the passage when, when he is put to death, that Stephen is truly putting his faith in the one who died for him. And he's not concerned at all about his death. As Christians, you don't need to be concerned about death. You shouldn't be. If, you're, if you are, then you can have assurance. You can have assurance that you're going to be with the Lord when you die. Every one of us can have that assurance. You, shouldn't, you don't need to go this life questioning, am I going to make it? Because as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can trust him to take us there. It's not our doing. It's his doing. Salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone, not you. You're just a recipient of it. You're just trusting him for it. And if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ for your salvation today, it is time. <laughs> and I, I pray that today God touches your heart and makes you realize that indeed you need to put your faith in him. As it's often said, and I know I've said this a number of times, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us is. I don't care how healthy you are. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And so you need to put your trust in the one who died for your sins, who can save you from all eternity by putting your faith in him. And again, for believers, you need not fear. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil because he's with you and he'll be with you through all eternity. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus Christ that no matter what comes against us, whether it's evil haters of you, whether it's disease, whether it's an accident, whatever might happen to us, that when that time comes, we can be at perfect peace because our mind is set on you. So Lord, we ask you to give us each that comfort to know that, yes, we may be amongst those who get persecuted someday for the gospel. And we may even be put to death for it. But life here on earth is temporary and fleeting. Eternal life with you is what we're ultimately looking for. And so, Lord, help us to have that trust in you, trust in the crucified Christ, the one who died, the one who was buried, and the one who rose again to defeat death, 
that he will do that for each and every one of us who has faith in him. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.